Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I have Nick Jamey, one of the founders of Sweet Green, coming up in a little bit. But first, it's a very special episode of What's Eric Eating? We are not going to do News of the Week or Restaurants of the Week. Instead, we are going to break down the list that I just published, Culture Map's Top 100 Restaurants in Houston. I have two of my regular co-hosts here to help break it down. We're going to talk about what they agree with, what they disagree with, winners, losers, who got snubbed, who's not speaking to me. Start with Linda Salinas, the local beverage consultant. Whose Howdy. projects include Jonathan's The Rub, LaGrange, and the Ninfas, both in Uptown and Navigation. Linda, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, you know, just living my best life. Also joined by Matt Harris, a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene and a frequent traveler. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank Good you. Good to be here. I'm glad, be you're, I'm glad you're here. You know, listening to your introduction, I... Uh, just thought, not to steal your thunder, but I have a list of people that I wish would quit talking to me, so I actually may do a top 100 list. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we're, we're, so we're recording this before the list goes live on the internet, so I don't know what the reaction is going to be. I, I mean, I know some people are going to be very happy with me. Some people are going to be very unhappy with me, but I don't quite know exactly who those people are going to be. And I don't know the social media debates are going to rage. I Well, let, well let's let's first and foremost. You want to you want to go over the top 10? You want to start with well, the top no, 10? Well, no, I just want to remind you that yeah. you chose this life. Oh no. Okay? You chose this life. 100%. Okay? We've looked over this list. You know, top 100, Eric Sandler's top 100, right? Ranked one and, and fully ranked one to 100. And you, one to 100. And you know what? On the day the list goes live, all the restaurants are open. So, <laughs> terrible. So I'm very excited. I'm very pleased to report that. All right. Yes. No, I, I understand. I understand that I chose this life. I have wanted to do this for a very long time. And there are some generous sponsors that made that possible and you'll see their ads on the top 100 website all right where do you want to you want to start with the top 10 where do you want to start uh well you know top 10 uh i'm a sheep not a shepherd daddy huh (laughs) all right all right so let's count them down from 10 to (laughs) 1 all right Uh, himalaya number nine is hugo's number eight katarobata Seven, Triss in the Woodlands. Come on, not in Houston. Six, Nobies. Hater. Five, State of Grace. Let's do Four, this. Theodore Rex. All right. Three, UB Preserve. Uh, Number two, Nancy Sussel. And the top spot goes to Riel. First impressions, what do you think? Uh, I think this list is is noble. Noble? I'm noble. not sure what that means. Um, no, th- I think the list is good. I think that... Um, I would have had a couple of other different spots, but 
Um, I like the fact that you're recognizing Nobis. Nobis is, I think, one of the best, best restaurants in uh, in Houston, and they have been snubbed for the other 100 list. Uh, and so that's great. Um, Tris, again, um, it might be a great restaurant, but it's not in Houston. Um, Cata Rabada, yes, praise emoji. Hugo's outstanding. Uh, Himalaya, I've, uh, top 10, interesting. Uh, do I think it, do I, do I love Himalaya? Yes, I do. Do I think it is top 10? I don't know, man. Because right. I think that it should be about the whole experience. Well, and I and I wanted to capture that. I I yeah. do, you know, and I I write in the intro that I, you know, it's not just food. There has to be a service component. Good restaurants have sophisticated beverage programs. Himalaya is sort of the exception. I I just think what Kaiser does is so creative and so consistently good that I am willing to forego kind of the lack of decor the I I mean I love Kaiser and he treats me very well and I just think that sometimes when these lists are are made is you have to I think that you should always consider and I've always said this you should always consider the total experience by a normal regular old Jomo you know that goes in there and that's one of the things that I've sometimes you and I have battled a little bit about because the sort of experience that you and everyone else is different. Right. I I'm don't have authentic same. service experiences. At, yes. At, at certainly at any of these restaurants in the top 10, you know, in Chinatown, you know, that's fine. I, I get treated. I think I get treated like everybody else, but, Thank uh, you know, certainly at, at high profile establishments inside the loop, you know, they know who I am. They didn't know I was working on this list, but I get a, I get an elevated service experience. That's certainly true. Matt, what about you? What do you think? how do we do? Uh, well, first, congratulations. I mean, it's not a small undertaking. Uh, and uh, I think on the larger level, for Houston, I think, think it's exciting. It should bring a little bit of energy um, to the dining scene. I think people are going to look at this. It's going to be a great resource. I really like some of the search features that are on the list. Um, as far as the, the top 10 go, I, I would don't really have a quibble with it for me the first thing when i'm looking at a list to remember is it's not my list it's your list um so the uh uh i i would frame it a little bit differently than than maybe linda framed it and it basically boils down to where are the places that i enjoy eating the most yeah, that was a factor for me. I mean, you and I talked about this quite a bit, and you guided me to some of the restaurants that are a little bit further down the list. Where am I excited to go? Yes. You know, when when I send a text message to a group of my friends and I go, hey, let's get dinner at X tonight, how quickly do I get back a yes? Right. Or how quickly do I get a, oh, sorry, you know, maybe another time? You know, if I if I say, hey, I've got a four-top at, Nancy's hustle tonight, you know, I'm going to get a fast yes to that. You know, yes, we haven't been to Himalaya in a while. Let's go to Himalaya. Like again, typically a, a fast. Yes. No, no. The three of us were just there like two weeks ago. But, but if I, I'm saying if, if I send that text message to people and I say, you know, I'm going to, to Himalaya in a minute, let's go, let's go there tomorrow. I I feel like I'm going to get a fast yes to that. 
Well, I think the one thing when I look at the top 10, the one thing that jumps out to me is relevant. And uh, I think that's a key component to a list like this. Uh, the other thing with specific to Himalaya, um, big fan. And it's also probably in the top, you know, three to five places when people come from out of town, I'm taking them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think these, you know, I always say that when people come from out of town, it's sort of how traditional a Texas experience do you want? Because maybe you just want, maybe you're from the East coast. Maybe you just want barbecue and Tex-Mex in which case, you know, we'll go to Ninfa's or we'll go to, you know, I think there's like eight barbecue places on the list. So, you know, those are, those are definitely options. But if you're a little more culinarily adventurous, yep. Yep. you know, Nancy's Hustle, T-Rex, Nobis, Himalaya, Mala, you know, th- those are all in the mix for, for those kind of experiences. Um, look at the list a little more broadly. I mean... Linda, do you like you've seen all hundred? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it's a pretty accurate representation of where people should be eating right now in 2019? Uh, yeah, I think so. There's a, I mean, there's a couple of things like I don't. Uh, there's a couple of things that I don't understand why they're rated a little higher, like uh, Indianola being at 71. I think they should be a little bit higher on the list. But again, that's, that's in that's, lower than 71. No, 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 higher, higher on the list. You know. Okay. Because uh, it's so low. But then you have Saigon House, which I always get garbage service there. Food is so good, but the service is horrible, you know, and they're not in Chinatown. So, I mean, I have like those are those are I mean, and that's really what it comes down to for me personally is, is that like Saigon House is much, much higher than like someone that really tunes in their service, you know. And um, but again, um, I mean, yeah, Saigon house is 30. Yeah. You know, and I just, I mean, I don't know. I just, again, I mean, it, I, it, I've, I've, I've been in there when they are in the weeds. Mm-hmm. I believe that that's how you people that work in the restaurant you industry. <laughs> uh-huh. Weeded. And I have seen them struggle to manage when the restaurant is really full. I know a lot of restaurants kind of crash when the dining room is full and there's a line of people at the door. Uh, but I do think that the, that, that even within the parameters of Viet Cajun restaurants, I think it's a very good version of that style of cuisine. And as I sort of lay out in the intro, you know, this is, this is the culture map list. So it has a, a bias towards things that are inside the loop. So, a really outstanding Viet Cajun restaurant in Midtown is more valuable to me for the purposes of this list than a really outstanding Viet Cajun restaurant in Chinatown. Okay. So that's when and where, and, and, you know, and I think they're, and again, I think the food is really good. I think the quality, you know, the crawfish in season, fantastic. Seafood boils, the oxtail, uh, they started doing a steak night with Texas beef. I'm in for all of those things. I, I am a fan of all of those things. Cool. I'm glad we had this talk. <laughs> <laughs> Very illuminating. Yes. Um, okay. And I think, I mean, I've got to give you a little bit of beef for this. Absolutely. That's you why know, you're, it's you know, really why you're here. You know, you know why I'm here. It's three, good cop, bad cop. 
369 Oriental Bistro. Crummy little Montrose. Divey little Chinese restaurant. Chinese restaurant. Everybody's favorite. It's not everyone's favorite. Not everyone's favorite at all. It's I your think. favorite. It's, yes. It's my favorite. It's and it's your my favorite. list. Yeah. So, so let me just No, 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 say, no, 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 no. Let's get this together. No, no, no. You said this is Culture Maps. The readers. get You get it together, buddy. <laughs> 369 Bistro should not be on that list. That Every, one's... Everybody's favorite. <laughs> uh, it's a selfish... It's selfish. That that one is purely for me. Uh, I, now, I will say disregard, this. Disregard, disregard, disregard. I, I, will, I will say this. Jews and Chinese food is a stereotype. I know plenty of Jews that don't eat American-style Chinese food. However, my family was one of those foods that ate a lot of Chinese-American food while I was growing up. I need it in my life like every couple of weeks. And most of the time when I have a craving for that style of food, I go to 369. Or, or you know, I don't know, maybe that like famous Thanksgiving place that we used to go to. Oh, Hunan, oh, Hunan Garden? Hunan Garden, maybe. Christmas, Christmas you know, Day, not Thanksgiving. Christmas Day, sorry. Christmas Day. Our beloved friend Jenny Wang's restaurant yes, in Kingwood. absolutely. I don't know. I mean, if we're going to we're gonna be throwing some... some I mean, uh, when I'm... The, the one time a year I'm in Kingwood, <laughs> it is explicitly to go to Hunan Garden. But I eat at 369 probably every three or four weeks. Okay. And I... I mm-hmm. almost I almost mm-hmm. hesitated to put it on the list because... You should have! Because they have no idea what I do for a living. And they treat me like that's where I truly get treated like everybody else. Yeah. And I'm just a little bit worried. I just ruined that for myself by by doing this. I'm a little bit nervous about it. But uh, uh, but I, I it's th- that one is that one is personal. You know, I tried to take a, a broader view for this in all other aspects. But as soon as I was assigned this task, I knew right from the very beginning, three, six, nine was going to be ninety nine. Um, fine. Whatever. Uh, you, do you have any, do you have any beef with any of, any of these? Uh, uh, is there anything what, that you're just what, like, what, uh, but uh, are Mr. we, are, oh, this is where we switch roles and Linda plays good cop. Linda, Linda's incapable of playing good cop, but, but Matt, I, I am, I am curious to get your perspective. What, I mean, overall, how do you think I did? Solid list, sir. Are there restaurants that you feel are not ranked highly enough? Um, yes, that the one that jumps out at me the most is my beloved La Lucha. Oh, yes. Yeah. What do we, it's at 60, I believe six zero. Six zero. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, what, what happened? <laughs> What's going on here? So who, I, so who let paid me, for that one, huh? So, all right. So first of all, <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's just say Ford Fry's restaurants and, and the work of Bobby Matos and Matt Crawford is well represented. All three Super Ricas on the list too. Uh, State of Grace obviously is five, as we mentioned. So no disrespect. I have always felt like it is a little bit hard to make a meal out of what? going to La Are Lucha you if you don't have fried chicken. Like if you, if you, what? You don't know what you're it's, it's about. a lot of small plates. <laughs> There's not a lot of entrees. I just, I, if you're not going for the fried chicken, I feel like it's a little bit hard to make a meal out of it. So and, many snacks. Well, so yeah, it's all snacks. snacks. I, I, it's it's me, all snacks. I'm about that. Life. Let me list. Let me list. Yes. Let me list that life. <laughs> Crawfish bread. Yes. Gooey and delicious. 
not a snack. Oyster loaf. What? Hello. Not a snack. Pharmacy burger. Oh, praise emoji. Greasy, mm. greasy, decadent. I mean. And which uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on record because this is public forum. The griddle cakes are my favorite dish in Houston. Ooh, I have not been. Move. I have not been for the late night menu yet. I'm, I'm a little bit sad about that. So, so that, that's where, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's reasonable. Is there anything that, uh, Matt? Do you think that what have we've, uh, what have we missed? Is there any restaurants that you think should have gone on this list that you did not see? Well, so if if there are, I would say the quibbles with logistics or chronology, and just there's just not enough time to be able to um, go to the number of restaurants that you would need to go to to actually develop a true top 100 list. So I think with accepting that as a premise, I think the list is very representative. There are a few places that I really enjoy um, being Thai, being among them that kind of jump out to me is that may sh- maybe should be on the list. Um, but it's, but it, it's a massive undertaking. Yeah. I mean, you both know that I've basically, since I came back from my time of being away, that I have been out and about eating at restaurants to compile the experiences that form the basis of this list, which is basically all summer, June, July, August, all while maintaining uh, the, the visits necessary for the monthly Where to Eat series um, and maintaining my output at culture map, you know, which is eight to 10 stories a week. So I, I don't expect anyone to feel sorry for me. Certainly uh, I don't. And I, I, there are, there are lots of avenues to criticize me. There's no Thai food, no Korean food, no West African food. There is probably, it's a very meaty list in the sense that there's, I think eight barbecue restaurants and eight steakhouses or nine, Nine barbecue joints and eight steakhouses, I think, on the list. But again, like it's built around my personal taste and my experiences. You know, I've been to, I, I, I feel stupid that I have to say this explicitly. I've been to all 100 of these restaurants and they're, this is kind of, you know, you have to kind of call it like you see it ultimately. So, and that, and, and that's, so that's that kind of where it turns for me is, it boils down to logistics. I mean, it's it's how many of these places can you get to? Uh, you know, some of them really you should be going more than once, and it just becomes overwhelming. And at a certain point, you just have to say, "All right, here's what I'm dealing with." And it's not that other places are are not worthy of of being on the list. It's just more a matter of well, and and also wanting a certain amount of diversity. You know, I decided that nine barbecue is enough barbecue. And, you know, as much as I respect, I mean, the Blood Brothers is the big one, I think, where I really like what they do, but it's slightly more inconsistent than the other restaurants on this list. Now, I certainly think that it's possible that they could, they could, 
the, they will get better over time and that I'll have a spot for them a year from now. Hopefully, hopefully this is not a one and done thing. Hopefully I will get to do this again. And so, you know, a restaurant like that. Yeah. If you, if you live past this list. Yeah. <laughs> who do you think's going to be? Well, who do you think's going to be mad at me? Oh man. Don't, don't get me started. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough time today. <laughs> no, we'll just see. I mean, uh, I'd like to see what, I mean, I, I, I mean, at some point I'd really like to come back and kind of like uh, look at comments, what kind of like hate mail, love mail, you know, and kind yeah. of like, you know, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you add this or, you know, or somebody's. Yeah. yeah. And let me yeah. just, and let me just say on this podcast, especially for people who listen to the show, I am very curious to hear everyone's feedback. You know, I, I hope that it guides people to great dining experiences, but people who have a strongly held opinion that I missed something, you know, email me, Eric, here I see at culturemap.com. Send me a DM on Instagram. Send me a message on Facebook. I mean, I am not hard to find. And I do want to know how people are engaging the list. I want to know what people think about it. Yeah, I always think it's really interesting whenever I see, like, even when Houston, when Catherine Shilcutt used to do Houston Press and, you know, her reviews and even, um, you know, just like back in the day when you could actually, you would read comments, you know, on, um, on the internet. And it was always really, people weren't ever really upset with reviews. It's just, they were always... I was there this one time and that was not at all what I, what I experienced, you know? Um, and that's, I think that that's kind of like always like in my forefront, whenever I read something like that, it's like, well, like, did you get pinged at the door? You know, so on and so forth. I mean, those things are really wonderful, but I mean, when it really comes down to it, like an, a great, a great uh, food experience is really that really wonderful hospitality that I think that Houston has, you know, a lot of Houston restaurants embody a great, right. A, it's one great of spirit, the reasons you, know? you really like Nobis is because they make everybody feel everyone. Like yeah. I mean, everyone, I mean, same thing with Nevis at navigation. I mean, I walk in there as they're just their beverage person, you know, and it's, it doesn't stop, you know? Um, and that's just, that's you watch again, another great, like experience, like service experience, you right. know? And, and I do, I, I really enjoy because, you know, they have that Michelin star pedigree from their London location. Yeah. All the little table side flourishes. They, yes. they serve you, they pour the sauces table side. Yes. They, yes, I think, I think Yawacha, you know, it is a premium price over Chinatown dim sum. I think it's literally three or you'll pay three or four times more per person at Yawacha than you would, but the flavors are very vibrant. Yeah. You know, I like when the shrimp dumplings actually taste like shrimp instead of wrapper and soy sauce. And I think the, the service, the decor, the beverage, you know, there isn't another dim sum restaurant on the list. Yawacha is the only one. And I think for me, I just think it's, it's exceptional. Well, yeah. And then you end up putting your three, six, nine underneath above houston's which houston's is wonderful houston's houston's wait why do you like 369 (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think we're done we're done talking about 369 (laughs) well Uh, but again you know i think i think the standard for houston's is different 
Obviously, it's a chain restaurant. It's been around for so good. a very long time. It is it's extremely so good. It's extremely consistent, it's but it also consistent. Yeah. it's it's 20% more expensive than it probably should be. And it the menu never changes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. It's a good bookend. I, I like that it ends on Houston. Yeah, Yacha is the one that I that is the other one that, that sort of grabbed me that that should be higher. It just I think they do everything really well. Uh, they also have a non-alcoholic uh, beverage um, selection, which I really appreciate that they put some thought into. Um, Cultivari does it very well as well. Cultivari Absolutely. does it very well as well. Yep. Um, and then the uh, the other thing that I would say, again, sort of on the macro level, is that Houston dining scene changes very quickly. Yes, you will. You will read. I, there's a companion article that goes along with the list that you haven't you haven't seen yet because it it hadn't been published by the time we sat down to record this. But I acknowledge that by the end of this year, this list will start to look a little dated because I think a restaurant like Rosie Cannonball, Rosalie Italian Soul, maybe even the Annie Cafe, maybe Garden Grace, you know. All of these places will start to percolate and maybe even Candente, right? The Tex-Mex restaurant from the owners of the pit room. I have I have the pit room and 1751C and bar on the list. And then William Mesnerick's restaurant just right, opened. Right, right. Savor yeah. just opened and I had, a, opened. I had a good meal there. Mm-hmm. And so there is a sense of humility associated with this, which is that, look, it on this day at the beginning of September in 2019, I think these are the 100 best restaurants. January 1, 2020. Get your act together. It it it, it will it will September 2nd. It will be it will be a little dated. Yeah. But that's that's just the reality. That's how that's how fast things move around here. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the other elephant in the room. Don't start. What? Okay. No, let's talk about it. What do you wait? You, no, said, you may no, have no, a different no. elephant than I no, have. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm not. Go ahead. No DeMarco. Oh, de, no, DeMarco. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, again, I think service. I... Again, again, service, my friends. Service. Again, again yeah, I, I think uh, no no one more disappointed than that than our, than our good friend, Michael Fulmer. Who's, service who's person of the year. Service, a former My Table Service Person of the Year. A fact that, by the way, if you see him in public, he never gets tired of hearing about. So, okay, make so sure if you run into if you Michael Fulmer. Congratulate him on winning that about five years ago. Anyway. Person of the year. No, I, so, so this is where I come down on that. As you said, I had, I had limited time and, and limited resources to revisit places. I had a so-so DeMarco experience maybe two years ago. That was two years ago. But there was nothing about that experience that made me think it had gotten, it was likely to be better or different. I, I get it. The pastas are good. The atmosphere is old school. The mains, frankly, were not good. They were not worth the money. And, you know, my my response to what about DeMarco is, have you been to Patente? I've heard Be- terrible things about their service. I'm sorry. but I, I, need- I mean, I think that is literally impossible. That dining room is run by Bill Floyd and a guy who used to run the floor at Tony's. I mean, I have I have eaten there multiple times. I have watched the way they interact with people. There is no again, way. Again, there's no again, way. Look, it's. I mean, I'm not. 
I'm not saying that it, it's not good. It's just I think that sometimes you're going to have a different experience because of who you are. You know? Oh no, I and and I concede that. Yeah. And so I I try to be conscientious about observing other tables and also speaking to people. Right. Yeah. I send people to some of these restaurants. Oh, you've got an anniversary coming up. You've got a birthday coming up. You know, go to Patente. Tell me what you think. Tell me how it goes. And the feedback has always been really positive. And it's not that I call the restaurant and say, hey, these are my friends. Keep an eye out. Right. I just send people and see what happens. Well, and, so, I, think, and I think that, the, I mean, I, I know that I got I got a couple of friends of mine that, I, that could comment it. But that was also the first month. And as everyone else knows, first months are always a wash. I mean, Robert Del Grande has talked to me about that before. And he's like, look, first month is always Awash. No one ever remembers anything because we are still trying to figure things out. I'm not trying to throw shade on Potente. I, I'm not. I'm just saying that it's a different experience, and that's that. It's a right, different. But experience, that restaurant, you know? okay. But if they went in the first month, that restaurant's now more than two years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's time. It's time to let them up off the mat. Of course. But but there's a modern Italian restaurant, a, a fine dining, modern Italian restaurant that uses great local ingredients. That has some Gulf Coast touches, and I don't think necessarily gets enough credit for how good it is. And so to rank it, I don't know, I ranked it, it's in the top 30. I, uh, I think it's 28 or 29. I put, my, I put my copy of the list away right as I started talking about it. 29. 29. Everybody's, no, that's not, sorry. Wrong, <laughs> wrong number. Wrong, wrong number. number. That's a different number. Anyway, but... I, you know, I think it's a statement about, right, I am I am in favor of Patente. I am not in not, favor of DeMarco. C'est la vie. Yeah, I, right? I, they'll be just fine. Like, they're, they're not even going to know this list is published. So it's They fine. may get more business. Yeah. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, it's like the email I once got. I hate every restaurant you like. To which I said, well, just think of how much money I could be saving you. Just... You know, yeah. you know that. So now act, act, accordingly. act accordingly. Yeah. All right. Well, well, let me thank you both for being here today. I, I appreciate all of your, you, you both had an opportunity to provide some feedback before the list was published. You went out with me on scouting expeditions and I just want to acknowledge that publicly and thank you. And, but, but let me just absolve you of any, of any blame. Ultimately, this is, I, I am the one who set the rankings and, and I will take uh, I will take the heat for anyone who is upset about any of them. So are we in agreement it's top ninety nine plus one? Is that where we're Yeah, basically that's what it is. Okay. Okay, good. Top ninety nine plus one. All right, good. I'm glad we had this I'm glad we had this talk. I'm sure they're gonna get flooded with Oh, hold on, I wanna check out this little this little this little place in Montrose, you know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, if I can't walk in there on a Saturday night at 7 o'clock and still get a table, I'm going to be really mad at myself. <laughs> All right. So am I. <laughs> Matt, Linda, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. Absolutely. Congrats again. Thanks. Thank you. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined this week by Nick Jamey, one of the founders of Sweet Green, the California-based salad restaurant that recently opened its first Houston location in Rice Village and is preparing to open a second location in the heart of Montrose. Nick, welcome to the show. How are you? I am great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I mean, the Sweet Green story, I think, is kind of famous 
you you started this the idea you had this idea for the restaurant with uh with your business partners during a, a class you took in Georgetown. How did you how were you three college students that decided that what the world needed was another salad restaurant? Well, uh, yeah, so I, I started Sweetgreen with my two co-founders, John and Nate, and we were seniors at Georgetown, and we're just sick of you know having the same conversation every day about where we wanted to eat and really having that same problem day after day of having nowhere uh, that really fit our values or made us feel good or that we were excited about. And we, we looked around and realized that all the the most exciting food, the food that people did get excited about, was the least healthy. The food that was most accessible was the least healthy. And the food that was kind of celebrated the most and tasted the best, the most craveable food, was generally the least healthy. And we didn't understand why you couldn't um, do all those things for food that actually made you feel good and was actually good for your body. And so we wrote a business plan uh, outside of school and uh, raised $375,000 from friends and family and teachers and people we met on planes and really anyone that would listen to us and take us seriously. And um, two months after graduation, August 2007, we opened our doors on M Street in Georgetown in a 560-square-foot former burger shack. And that's where Sweetgreen was born. And, you know, surprisingly enough, if you think back to 2007, you know, we were kind of trying to solve a problem for ourselves in Georgetown. And we quickly realized that the problem we had in Georgetown was kind of a bigger problem. We didn't see any solutions in the food landscape in D.C. or in other cities or, you know, around the country that really that fit this. And so, um, you know, we thought it was also around the time that people were starting to really think a little bit more about their relationship with food and really think about what they were eating and and, you know, we wanted to create a place, a brand and a product that really people could connect with. Yeah. I mean, I guess in some level, you're kind of writing that top chef, you know, food network wave of, of people starting to care more about not just what they're eating, but where it comes from and how it's made. That's, it's a great point. I think if you, you know, rewind 12, 13 years, there were really a lot of factors and a lot of things that were coming up in pop culture that um, were making people think more about their food, whether it was Food Network and all the food content that was starting to, um, you know, come alive. You know, even Michael Pollan's book and or things like Fast Food Nation, um, all these documentaries and books that kind of came out that really made people think twice and say, oh, man, I didn't realize that, you know, the things I'm putting in my body have an effect on how I feel and how and my health. And um, and ultimately, when people looked around, there weren't options where they could still get food that they craved and that made them that made them feel good, and so that's what we tried to build with Sweetgreen. Right. So you started in 500 square feet in Georgetown. How many how many Sweetgreens are there now? We are at 97 so, as of next week. <laughs> so does that so a, so Montrose is 97 or yeah. will be 97? Yes. And then. So, I mean, there's a lot of restaurants, obviously, that serve salads as part of their menu. There's there's a number of restaurants that that feature salad as kind of their primary focus. What what is it about Sweet Green that's allowed it to to grow so quickly? So, at Sweet Green, for us, it's been really you know the ethos for us is more than just salad. It's about connecting people with real food, and so how we define that is creating a place where 
Um, people can really feel good about the decisions they're making and the food they're putting in their body. Um, and really thinking about not just the nutritional value, but thinking about um, how plant-based it is, how it's sourced, trusting the traceability and transparency of the products, and ultimately just enjoying eating it. So the craveability is something we talk a lot about. So, you know, for us, even though we have a lot of salads on our menu and it, it, it's what we're most known for, you know, our ethos around food and our mission is broader than that. It really is to connect people to real food and support people growing real food um, and really make that um, make that shift in, in people's relationship with food. Yeah, I guess how do you how do you establish those connections? I mean, how do you sort of get your customers to care more about the food that they're eating at Sweetgreen than maybe they do from other restaurants? You know, I think it's in a couple ways. First and foremost, I think to the point I was saying, the craveability, the product just has to taste good. People have to enjoy what they're eating. You know, no matter how much information or education you give someone about what they should be eating or what's good for them or what's good for the land or what is local or, you know, what came from which farm, if people don't enjoy the product, they're not going to come back. And so, you know, our culinary and supply chain team really spend a lot of time um, focusing on that. And the good news is when, when, you know, our food ethos and the way we source from amazing local and regional farmers that are growing in really healthy soil and doing things the right way, all those things create better tasting ingredients. Um, so our ethos around supply chain and sustainability all line up with our ethos around craveability. Um, and so we're fortunate there. But then, you know, ultimately for us, we also think it's important to, to make sure our customers have access to the information around our food, understanding where it was grown, how it was grown, who grew it, um, why it's important, and, and just telling really great stories around food. And so over the years, I've, as we've really grown and, and gone to new regions and met new farmers and sourced new ingredients, you know, we spend a lot of time also um, telling stories about, of our food to our customers, really letting them um, in on the journey of, you know, why we source um, a certain ingredient a certain way or why we're excited about you know, what our farmer is doing to the soil or why this ingredient that we bred with a certain farmer is really delicious and flavorful and just really taking all these opportunities to tell all the amazing stories that are in our supply chain. Um, and then ultimately being, you know, transparent with it. So every restaurant has, um, a board that lists our ingredients and what farms and producers and growers they come from. So there is that connection. And many times, you know, customers will come in and see the board and A, feel good that we're, that we're offering that information up and they feel like they can, you know, they have that at their disposal. But they might even see names on the board that, you know, of their favorite farmer from the farmer's market and there's a connection there. And so for us, it's really trying to, to make sure that information is there for consumers, um, for customers and if they want it. And also just to share some of the amazing stories around the food and ultimately why all that information leads to better tasting food. Right. So you, you started on the East Coast and then you went to the West Coast and now... You're here in Texas. What's it like to build these supply chains from scratch? I mean, how do you start identifying which farmers and other producers you want to be working with? It's a great question. So for us, our, our supply chain is regional and, and seasonal. And so we are in um, you know all these number um, of different markets. We, we build our own group of farmers and growers and producers to really celebrate the best of the land and the best of what folks are growing around there. And then we also do work with some of the largest organic farmers in the country, mostly in California, um, to really have you know um, a di diverse uh, supply chain. But when it comes to building the local supply chain, it's you know it's, it's it's something that takes a lot of work, but it's also incredibly fun. We have um, a supply chain team 
that spends time in the market once we've identified uh, a city or a state that we want to go to, just trying to learn and understand, you know, the agricultural shed and what people grow and what people eat. And we just try to learn and become a student um, of the region, just trying to understand people's relationship with food in that market and what's going on and what people are excited about. And, you know, even down to what ingredients might be indigenous to that soil for X amount of time. And, uh, and once we have all those inputs, we, you know, we start simply by going around to farmer's markets, speaking to other chefs, um, just talking to as many customers as we can down in the market. And we do that before we even sign a lease. So it's really one of the first things we do is just try to learn. And once we've done that, we start to put together, um, um, a list of ingredients and, 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 and a direction that our menu could go. And we start testing things and meeting with farmers and going to visit their farms to understand how they're growing, um, under, to understand their business in a deeper way. You know, a lot of people say the food business is hard, but you know, being in the business of farming is even harder. So it's really important for us to understand what makes their business thrive, what challenges they're facing and how we as a partner can help support them and how they can get excited about sweet green becoming a, uh, you know, a customer of theirs. Um, you know, we're big believers that if, if, if we want to continue to grow and scale real food, we can't just be in the business of selling the food. We also have to be in the business of partnering with people that grow that food and make sure that we can be great partners to them. So our business can only grow up, you know, if, if our farmers are successful. So are there a couple of farmers you're working with here in Texas that you're particularly excited about that you kind of want to maybe give a little shout out to? Sure. There's a, there's a bunch. Um, let me think. I know that we, uh, we are, you know, Really excited about Johnson's Backyard Garden. I think we're working with Rio Fresh, PPC Farms. Um, we're getting pecans from 38 pecans. Uh, we are adding shrimp to the menu in Houston from uh, Bauer Shrimp Company. Um, Breadman, uh, Texas Olive Ranch. I think that's... Yeah, and, and actually the other thing that we have added in, in Texas for the first time is beer and wine. So that was also fun to really um, find some great local um, producers there and uh, finally be able to serve that on our menu. Yeah, that's that's got to be a nice change for the procurement team. They can they can give up on beets for a night and change to uh, beer and wine. <laughs> From beets to beer. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I asked you about building a Texas supply chain, but I, I haven't asked you yet about the decision to come to Texas. How did you decide that the, the timing was right? And then how did you sort of pick Houston to be your first, what, what, what I assume is going to be your first Texas city. Yeah, we've been spending time in Houston for a few years and we've really been excited to bring sweet green to, um, to Houston and for a bunch of reasons, you know, I think looking at how, uh, how robust the culinary scene is there and how people really do get excited about all different kinds of food. Um, you know, we really saw an incredible community of people and chefs and farmers and, and just consumers that, um, that love food. And so that really got us very excited. And, you know, we thought it was a really, um, just the culture of Houston was something that we, that we were drawn to, whether it was the, the artists or again, the chefs or the food community, it just felt like a really, you know, robust community that sweet green could, uh, could become part of. And then how did you pick rice village and Montrose for the first two locations? We, uh, you know, we looked all around Houston and we're obviously exploring a bunch of trade areas. And, and as we, you know, we really looked at, at Montrose and got really excited about that area and, you know, just the community there and some of the exciting things that are happening in food there. And then we found this, this really beautiful freestanding opportunity to build, to build a sweet green there with, with lots of parking and, 
and felt that this is a really cool way to showcase showcase the brand. And then in Rice Village, also the same thing. It was it felt like a really great community to introduce Sweet Green into the market, um, and just a great you know lineup of other brands and and and, and folks there that we could become, become part of. Yeah, the uh, I had uh, I had the founders of Mendocino Farms on a few weeks ago. They said you you guys tend to wind up close to each other because you're sort of looking for similar, like similar locations, similar demographics, similar populations. Yeah, probably. Um, and there's a, uh, there's a rumor going around that, that you guys have signed a lease in the Heights. I don't, you want to, you want to break a little news? You want to, you want to confirm that you're, you're coming to the Heights? We are, I love the Heights. I think it's really exciting what's been built there and actually, you know, um, meeting the, uh, the developer there and the landlord that have, you know that has really been uh, had kind of built that community really great. We've been learning about a lot of different areas in Houston, and we're excited to bring Sweet Green all over. So we definitely hope to be in the Heights one day. Uh, nothing, nothing definite yet, but uh, that's also a community that we're very excited about. And then, I mean, more broadly, Austin, Dallas. I mean, what's what's kind of on your radar for for growth in the state? Yeah, you know, we're, we're looking, we're looking all over and we, we've got a bunch of, um, cities that we're, you know, exploring throughout the country and, and, uh, and throughout Texas. And, you know, we're really excited to be launching in Houston. We think, you know, it's our first restaurant, um, in this part of the country. And so we're excited to really be, um, bringing Sweet Green, uh, further than East and West. And, uh, so, you know, I, I do believe you'll see Sweet Green in, uh, you know, continue to grow throughout Texas and throughout the country. How's, how's the, uh, how's the first Houston store performing so far? How are you, are you satisfied with the response? The response has been amazing. And, you know, not just from a number of people that are coming in, but just, uh, the number of people that are coming back in. And that's always kind of a metric that we see, uh, that makes us feel good. So just return customers. Um, also what was really interesting was, you know, so much, a large part of our business is digital. And our app is really a, an incredible way that we engage with our customers, whether they're, they're ordering ahead or just paying on it. Um, and even in the first week, a large percentage of our orders was uh, happened through the app. So it was really awesome to see customers um, get excited about so we can learn about the app, download it and use it, and then come back. Yeah, actually, talk, go into a little more depth in that because it's, it's my understanding that there are like secret menu items on the app, that, that there are combinations that, that maybe people wouldn't be aware of if they just from looking at the menu in the store that they, they, they become more aware of through the app? Great question. It's actually one of my favorite things we do. Uh, we do have exclusive um, uh, mobile content that is on the app. Um, it's something we've been you know, testing and playing around with for a while. And um, you know, we obviously spend all this time sourcing these incredible ingredients. And then our culinary team puts together these signature combinations that make it onto the physical menu board. But there's so many other amazing combinations that we could put there and um, and just, you know, don't physically have space on the menu boards in the restaurant, but we wanted to make sure we suggested those and serve those to our customers. So the mobile app is an awesome way to do that and, uh, and really start to give, um, broader and more specific content to our, to our mobile users. And then just kind of looking at the company, I mean, you've had this, you've had this incredible growth. You have this, uh, I mean, you're, you're known as a unicorn. You have a, a billion dollar valuation can can i just ask you like what did it what did it feel like when you got that that investment that kind of pushed you over the top yeah you know we, we've been fortunate that i think the whole food landscape and and who's investing in it and how much investment has really gone into food over the last decade has really grown and so again as people's relationship with food changes 
more and more companies like Sweetgreen are investing in solutions for for consumers as they change. So, you know, it's always really exciting to have partners that believe in us and 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 want to see that reality come to life. Um, and you know, funny enough, even though you know it's it's a big it is a big milestone for us, it does still feel like the beginning. I mean, I think if you look at how big the opportunity is, um, food and you know how many meals consumed every day in this country, we're we're still just at the beginning, and you know we get really excited to see um, behavior change and people's relationship with food change. And I think uh, uh, you know we feel fortunate that we get to be part of it, but we still feel like we're just at the beginning. No, that's, that's, I mean, fair point, right? I mean, you know, it's, you're a long way from, you know, I guess, do you aspire to, I mean, as many sweet greens as there are, you know, fast food restaurants? I mean, like, what's the, what's the, what's the target? A thousand, I mean, you know, not, a, maybe not as many as there are subways, but you, you feel like this is something that could, that could really change the world, I guess. You know, we have a neighbor across the street from us in Montrose with a big golden arch across the street. So hopefully we can can impact as many people as they do one day. (laughs) Billions and billions served, I believe, is what it what it says on the on the menu board. Right. Exactly. Um, Well, Nick, I I really appreciate this. Uh, I mean, what else what else do you think people should know about Sweetgreen or or maybe what can we kind of look forward to as the menu evolves on the Gulf Coast? I mean, what are you you know, you said you're going to introduce shrimp. Like, how is that going to manifest itself? Yeah, so shrimp is actually, uh, it's on the Houston menu. It's the only place in, in the country on our menus where we have it. And um, again, I'm really proud of, this, uh, of the supply chain and proud of the bowl it's on. It's this uh, really amazing uh, garlic chili shrimp bowl. And um, so it's actually one of my favorites. And people in, you know, L.A., we, we were testing it here in L.A. for a while just before it launched in Houston. Mm-hmm. And everyone in the office is really upset that it's no longer on the menu here and only available in Houston. So it's quickly become a favorite. But I would say, you know, look out. Um, something that we're really proud of is, is our seasonal menu. So look out for the seasonal menu as that evolves and changes five times a year. We have a bunch of really exciting things that we've either sourced or some, you know, fun collaborations that we'll be working on that will show them, that will come to life on the seasonal menu that we'll be celebrating. So that's always a fun place, especially in a new city, to um, connect with the local community and, and uh chefs yeah i mean you you guys are kind of famous for working with chefs on special menu items i mean have you have you built any of those relationships in houston i mean there's there's no shortage of good chefs with uh, restaurants right down the street from you that might be might be interested in helping people eat a little healthier yeah you know before when i talked about being able to tell stories about our food through um some of these um three different ways the chef collaborations for us have been an amazing way that we've been able to tell really cool stories and have some fun with our with our menu, whether it's, you know, Dan Barber and, and breeding a squash last year or working with folks like David Chang or Nancy Silverton or, you know, some of the chefs that we respect the most in this, in the world. Um, it's always a lot of fun, but it's a great opportunity for us to tell a really cool story around our food. So we're definitely looking forward to doing that in Austin, in uh, Houston. Uh, yeah. And in fact, uh, I think it's, I think you're, uh, I think you're getting ready to, i I, I, maybe not, maybe not in time for when this podcast is going to be released. But uh, my my understanding is you you've uh, you found someone. You there's going to be a a big announcement coming soon. Um, we are. We're really excited. Um, actually, before I say, I'd, I'd love your uh, your opinion. If you think we we should collaborate with anyone in Houston, who would you say? Who what would your recommendation be? Well, I, I mean, I I know who you're colla- I I I mean, I know who you're collaborating with in Houston. And, and I think it's a really great choice. I think if you were going to do 
so, you know, obviously Justin Yu is, is really known for, for cooking with vegetables. I think he'd be really exciting. Uh, you know, I'd love to see Kaiser Lashkari from Himalaya. Like he's got a great, you know, his Indian flavors are really vibrant and really tied to the, to the yeah. life of the city. So I think that'd be a lot of fun. You're, you're practically, uh, across the street from Hugo's, Hugo Ortega is a James Beard award winner. He'd be a lot of fun to work with, but, uh, uh, you know, in, in that process of elimination, I guess I'll, I'll leave it to the audience to guess who, who the first collaboration is going to be. Well, you know, I'm ha- happy to say it here first and obviously talk about uh, Chris Shepard, a uh, chef that we're really uh, excited to have gotten to know and really created some, uh, some amazing, um, an amazing bowl with. And so we're excited for that to come to uh, hit our menu and for um, folks in the community to try it. Yeah. Tell us about what's going to, what, what that's going to be. Um, so, you know, we spent a lot of time, like I said, just trying to understand Houston and the community and the chefs and really got to know Chris and have so much respect for his approach and, and his flavors. And, and we're really excited to collaborate with him. And these chef collaborations for us were always an opportunity to try something a little different and even maybe a little more radical and, and, and explore ingredients that we wouldn't normally put on our menu, um, or wouldn't think of. And so he's really, uh, it's kind of like a great, um, innovation pipeline and so with uh, Chris, we worked on a bunch of really cool ingredients. Um, the bowl will be uh, kind of a version of a southern chopped salad, uh, and it'll have a vinaigrette made with uh, the Steen's cane syrup, and we'll have pimento cheese as kind of one of the main ingredients, uh, pecans, arugula, romaine, um, blackened chicken thighs, apples, some raw corn, and tomatoes, and a few other ingredients, but really leaning into some of these flavors um, from Houston. Well, and I mean, no one has been, you know, a bigger advocate for local farmers buying local produce than Chris. I mean, I, I see him at the farmer's market sometimes on Saturday mornings and, and they just, everybody wants to hug him. So I think that's a, that's a good sign. I think that that means you're working with the right person. Yeah, no, he's, he's been really great to get to know. And, uh, uh, and he's actually taught us a lot about Houston and, and the food there. So it's, uh, we've been super fortunate to get to know him and we're really excited to, to launch this this bowl in a fun way. All right. Well, Nick, that that brings me to the end of my questions. Unless there's something about sweet green you feel uh, the listeners need to know about, I would just say come check us out on Montrose. We're excited to be opening, and uh, it's a really fun, beautiful store. And we'll have some some fun surprises there when we're open. So come check us out. All right. I always I always like to wrap these interviews up with something I call the lightning round. It's five easy questions and five short answers. Okay. Sorry. So just so just say the first thing that comes to mind, Nick Jma. What is your favorite cookbook? Uh, Squirrel Cookbook. What's the first band you ever saw in concert? Uh, Puff Daddy. You uh, since you attended college, usually I ask people who their favorite Houston sports figure is, but since you went to college in the DC area, I will ask you who is your favorite DC sports figure, past or present. Oh man, uh, I'd probably say Jeff Green, who was on the Georgetown basketball team. Uh, do you? <laughs> I I feel like I'm playing with fire with this one, but do you have a fast food guilty pleasure? Um, good question. Uh, oh man, what do I like? Uh, you know, I love a good fried chicken sandwich every once in a while. <laughs> and then. Uh, Finally, when you're when you're ordering a pizza for the first time from a new pizzeria, what are what is your go to? What are your, what are your toppings of choice to evaluate the the pizzeria? Oh, no toppings. You got to go margarita. 
good call. Uh, Nick, give us the, the website and all the social media for Sweetgreen. Sweetgreen.com and Sweetgreen on Instagram. And uh, excited to see you in Houston. Nick, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at eSandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.